1: or miss. episode 235 hey my riches! i'm Chayut, and i want to thank you for being here with me every week this podcast is all about you my guest today steve hoffman said you can't generate demand demand is either out there or not in that case You should kill the product and move on. And he is right. However, there are two reasons why entrepreneurs fail to find the demand the market need. Either they approach the wrong customers, or they fail to explain what they offer. One of the most kept secrets of marketing is that success is not about convincing as many people as possible to buy your product. It's about finding those customers that need your product right now most, finding what is the biggest market opportunity for your product. I invite you to listen to this fascinating interview with Steve Hoffman. Enjoy. Steve Hoffman, Captain Hoff, has had more careers than cats have lives from Hollywood TV exec and game designer to manga rewriter, voice actor, animator, electrical engineer, studio head, and video game designer. Today, he is the captain and CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's leading startup accelerators. Founderspace was the number one incubator for Overseas Startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. Hoffman is also a venture investor, founder of three venture-backed and two bootstrapped startups, and author of several award-winning books. These include Make Elephant Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Forces. Steve Hoffman, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi.
0: Hi, Yute. It is wonderful to be here.
1: I'm so happy you are here. And I just shared with my listeners, with our listeners, what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you, what are you doing and most passionate about today? And where are you heading?
0: So today, I'm most passionate about helping entrepreneurs and helping them not just financially, but helping them reach personal goals, helping them do something meaningful with their life and actually make it an impact on the world that's positive.
1: Hmm. And how do you do that? Because so many people today are saying, I'm helping entrepreneurs and I'm looking for those who are really succeeding to help them. So how do you do that?
0: So I do that a lot of ways. I have had a lot of personal experience being an entrepreneur. I did three venture funded startups in Silicon oh. Valley and two bootstrap startups. And I know personally the struggles that entrepreneurs go through. So I work with them through my organization founder space on a global level. And we're a little different than other organizations in that we are very international. We began in Silicon Valley with US and entrepreneurs, but quickly we discovered that in Silicon Valley, there's a huge influx of entrepreneurs from all over the world. Right. So we began reaching out to different countries and not only helping them, the entrepreneurs come to Silicon Valley, and start their businesses, but also we began traveling all over the world to help them in their home countries.
1: Wow. So
0: in places in Europe, South Korea, Taiwan, China, Australia, all over the world. And it has been a very fulfilling experience.
1: Hmm. It sounds like that. And tell me a bit about your career path. What, how did you start? What is the story?
0: So I have always been passionate about creating. I, I see myself less as a business person and more as a creator. So when I was a child, I began making movies. And oh. by the time I graduated high school, I had made over 50 different movies. Wow! And, and these, some of these were animations. A lot of them were live action. Some were pretty long, almost feature length. So it was really an experience for me. At the same time, I also made games. So I made lots of games, board games, role-playing games. I even programmed computer games. So I was always creating and I wanted to be a creator. And my father came to me and said, son, computers are going to change the world. You need to know computers. So I went to college in electrical computer engineering. But after I graduated, I felt like my creative side was lacking. So I went, I applied in graduate school to the two top film schools, one NYU in New York and the other USC in Los Angeles. And I got accepted to USC. Wow. So I got my graduate degree in film and television, and then I went off to work in Hollywood. And I quickly rose up to the position of a television development executive in a major TV production company. Hmm. And during that time, I saw that games, which I also loved, were merging with film and television. Games were becoming more movie-like. And I had the feeling that games were going to be even bigger than television because I was a gamer. And my nickname, Captain Hoff, is (laughs) actually my gamer handle. Oh, so so I jumped from Hollywood over to the largest game company in the world at the time, which was Sega in Japan. Sure. And I began working with them, creating interactive entertainment. And then I launched my career as an entrepreneur. I came back to Silicon Valley, my home, and launched my first gaming startup. And that's how I began.
1: Hmm, What a story. What a beautiful story. As an entrepreneur, what would be your best advice, mainly regarding customer focus, but it can be regarding anything else as well, to any entrepreneur that is listening to us right now?
0: I have a lot of advice. So first (laughs) of all, I wrote a whole book on this (laughs) called Surviving a Startup, and it's published by HarperCollins. And my core advice to entrepreneurs Is that a lot of entrepreneurs, and I believe this too, when, when I first started out, a lot of entrepreneurs think they have to have an epiphany, a big idea, or they shouldn't jump in and be an entrepreneur. But my experience has shown me that the idea you begin with doesn't really matter because being an entrepreneur is a journey. And usually the idea you begin with is wrong. So people Entrepreneurs don't realize this. They, in fact, more entrepreneurs fail because they stick with their original idea than those who succeed, who tend to change ideas all the time, especially at the beginning when they're figuring things out. So I can give you a few examples to illustrate this point. A lot of us know Google as an incredibly profitable company. Probably one of the most profitable in the history of humanity. Hmm. But when Google began, the founders of Google thought they were doing a nonprofit, which yeah. is ironic today. But they thought that because their original idea was to help professors at universities find academic research papers online. So, a very small idea. It was only later they figured out oh, we can take this technology and apply it to searching for anything on the internet. And we all know YouTube, the the world's largest video broadcast site, when the founders of YouTube began, they actually started as a video dating site. And it was only later when their dating site was failing that they figured out we could use this platform we built to actually share videos online. And that was the birth of YouTube. And if you look at most startups out there, the same is true. The idea they began with is often completely different than what they ended up with. I'll give you one more example. The company Slack. So Slack creates this amazing communication software. But when they began, they were a gaming startup. They were creating a game and the game was failing. And at that point, they looked inward for some New direction to go. And they figured out that the software their engineers had hacked together for communication amongst themselves could be productized. And that was the, that when they pivoted to that new model, they became slack. And so when entrepreneurs go out there, I tell them don't go out there with one idea, pick a direction, an area you're interested in and go out there with a lot of ideas and then engage with the world, engage with the customers, only at that intersection where you actually start to figure out who your customers are and what they really need. That is where ideas are born.
1: Hmm. I love that so much. I love that advice so much. You've got successes and we'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most?
0: So I have had a profound failure, and that was when I came up with an idea, which was to create characters, avatars on the internet that people could control, that could walk and talk on any website. So you could imagine, we built a system where literally it could plug into your browser and on any website you visited, whether it's a news site, an entertainment site, Google, Facebook, you name it, you could have a little character that would appear on that site and then it could start chatting with other people who are on the same site at the same time. So it turned the entire internet into a virtual an uh, avatar-based virtual world layered across the internet. Well, this idea was so compelling that we had people- hey, Oh, it sounds great. Yes, we had Disney, we had all these entertainment companies, all these singers and entertainment people flocking to us, saying, this is an amazing idea. We want to work with you. And we raised a lot of capital. And we put this idea out there into the world And it took off. And people were on all these sites, you know, thousands of sites interacting with each other. And and we were creating content. And it was so beautiful. And then all of a sudden, we discovered that the people would use our application for a while, and then they would leave. They would leave. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't come back. And they were, in fact, they were ending up spending most of their time on a new product that was taking off at the same time called Facebook. So they were, <sighs> they were playing games on Facebook and socializing with their friends on Facebook. And ours was really attractive, but it wasn't what they really wanted. Now, this disconnect between this idea that we fell in love with and people seem to love on first sight but that didn't hold their attraction. It was like, it was like a fling. They would they would be in love with it, infatuated, and then they would <laughs> move on. So we, the biggest mistake we made was not realizing this soon enough we kept adding features, changing the product. We're like, "Oh, if we we're, this is so amazing if we can just find that magic key that'll get people to come back and stay and engage long term because unless we had them long term, we couldn't make enough money to to acquire more customers." So, we were battling against Face this new network, this new social network Facebook, and in the at the end of the day, it didn't work. Like my mistake was that we spent way too long trying to make this product work. And I learned that you cannot, you cannot generate demand. Demand in the world is either out there or it's not. And you can build the best product in the world. We could perfect this product, which we did. And it won't matter if people don't care enough about it. So what I should have done in hindsight was recognize that it what, that what I needed to do in hindsight was recognize that it, it's the core product. And if the core product isn't attractive to the customer, the core product or service, there is no amount of features you add, no amount of changes you can make will change that fact. And you should just kill the product and move on. Eventually... After, oh, too long, far too long, we killed the product and we moved on, but we learned a lesson.
1: Wow. (laughs) What a story. Now I want to ask you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers.
0: I've had many, many products. I probably launched a hundred products in my lifetime. So some of them were big successes. Others were terrible failures, like I just described Mm -hmm. to you. One of my biggest successes actually came very early in my career. It was my first product, in fact. Now, this product was another game that I had made. And my mission with this game was I, there were a lot of violent games out there that actually, uh, I believe, don't really help kids or adults uh, achieve anything. They just spend their time and they don't reinforce positive values. So my goal was to create a, a game that was incredibly fun, that could compete with all the fighting games out there, but that also taught people something. And the game was called Gazillionaire, and the role was, ironically, what I do today, teaching people to become entrepreneurs, so teaching them how (laughs) to become a gazillionaire, and I took the money I had saved, my personal savings, and I put it all into this project, everything, and because I had an electrical engineering degree, I coded it myself. I also did the artwork, but I brought in other artists, too, but I created all the drawings, and... I brought in musicians and we created this product basically out of my home and then I put it out into the real world. And the thing I was I learned from this is that I I I was determined to do this product no matter what. So I because I believed in the product itself, but what made it great was that I tested early on this product with people when it was not, when I had no graphics, nothing else, when it was just, I had a version that ran on the PC, but as a text version. And I thought if I can make people in the, in, with no graphics and nothing else get hooked on this game, then when I had graphics, sound, rich media, this, they will love it even more. And that proved true. So this product went out into the world and, at the, and and what happened was we had no marketing, we had no connections to anybody in the gaming world, but what happened was the people at one of the largest game companies in the world at the time for PCs, personal computers, they, their testing team downloaded the game, and they had the same experience that the early customers I had tested on had, and they fell in love with it. And quickly, uh, the, the word rose from the very bottom of the company, the game testers, all the way up to the president. And we got a call from the president. And he said, I want your game, and I want it by Christmas. So because they had to, <laughs> they had they wanted another product to launch before Christmas. They came after us. They uh, we did a deal. They got the game and they put it out worldwide and that made our company. So the company was called Lava Mind. It was my first startup. We not only released one of these games, we released an entire series. So we had Gazillionaire, Zapitalism, Profitania, all very successful games and they ended up not just being successful in the consumer space, but they also made their way into schools. So they were used by hundreds of schools around the world, even universities for their freshman level classes, teaching business started using our products. And also the prison system to help prisoners, uh, you know, to educate prisoners and help them become more entrepreneurial. The California prison system adopted our product.
1: Wow. So how come you tried other hundreds entrepreneurships or other ideas?
0: So these games were uh, very successful, but I was always creating new products. So I always wanted to push the boundaries. So like I told you, I made mm-hmm. the virtual world that layered across the entire internet, a crazy idea. I did interactive television products, which were sort of the intersection of entertainment and technology again. And we worked with all the major TV networks on that. So And then I did lots of other products. So I did video products, social networking products. For me, uh, my passion was always figuring out, um, I have a philosophy uh, about creating products today, and I will tell you it. Uh, Don't start creating a product until you discover the demand. I I think it's so much easier. So a lot of entrepreneurs out there, uh, they will envision something, but they won't go and test it early, so they don't know if there's any real demand. But I think an entrepreneur's job isn't to create perfect products; it is to it is to identify pent-up pockets of demand that aren't being met. So at any given time, and this is always changing, markets are shifting, and new technologies emerging, there are new trends happening. There's always new pockets of demand emerging that nobody has tapped. And if, as an entrepreneur, if you can I if you can discover one of those it's like being an oil wildcatter going out there and sinking wells and hoping that you hit a gusher so what you want to do is sink as many wells as quickly and cheaply mm. as possible until you hit a gusher and when you hit a gusher that's when you go all in that's when you raise money that's when you build a team that's when you start spending marketing dollars but before you do that you you keep you keep trying keep probing all around to find those pockets of demand.
1: Well, you know, I'm coming for marketing, and it's all about finding the demand. Everything starts there. Otherwise, we really don't have a product or we don't have a market for the product.
0: Right. Yeah, so I love you saying that. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people think you can manufacture demand, you can make demand. You just can't. It's, it either exists or it doesn't, as you know. You can spend all the marketing dollars in the world and if there isn't a demand out there, you're wasting your money. So that is one of my fundamental beliefs. There's another thing uh, that I write about in my book that I learned that is very powerful. And that is recurring revenue. Because what I've discovered growing companies is that if you get a customer, if you acquire a customer, and as you know, acquiring customers is one of the most expensive things a company does. I mean, a company, a, a company that's being successful spends more money on marketing. As, and their employees than almost anything else. So when you acquire a customer, that, if that customer buys your product once and then leaves, it is very hard to build a business on that. Very hard to build a big scalable business on acquiring a customer once and having them go away. And this is because in most cases, the customer isn't spending enough money. Now, if they're buying a car, something, a huge ticket item like a car, then it's fine. There's a big profit margin. So you have money to go out and acquire more customers. But if they're buying a gadget or, you know, a software product, you can't really grow fast and grow large by acquiring customers that come and go. What you need to do, and this is where I see really successful businesses, is when you acquire a customer, first of all, you never let that customer go. You lock that customer in to your product. And I like to say, you don't think of it as a product, you think of it as a platform because platforms are much more powerful than products. So when a customer comes into a platform, a platform is basically an ecosystem. What you wanna do is create an ecosystem where the more time that customer spends with your on your platform, the more value it creates for them And the more that they get locked into that ecosystem, needing that ecosystem. Now, I want to give Mm -hmm. you a real world example of this. We all know Salesforce is very successful, you know, CRM. But there are literally a 100 other competitors out there to Salesforce, and some of them have far cheaper products. Some of them have far more you know streamlined products for just the core CRM. They are actually better products than Salesforce at a lower price. Now why is Salesforce still dominating? Well because Salesforce early on understood they weren't just building a product, they were building a platform. And they invited all these third parties onto their platform to start creating value for their customers. So these If you're a customer and you come onto Salesforce, you're not only using Salesforce's product, you start adopting all these other third-party developer products and integrating them into your workflow. And at a certain point, it becomes extremely hard for you to leave because you might be able to find something better than Salesforce itself, but you can't find all these other products that go with it and work in that ecosystem. And then the more customers they bring into the Salesforce platform, the more third-party developers come in to develop apps because, again, it's a marketplace ecosystem, like Amazon is the same way. So Mm -hmm. these ecosystems are super, super powerful. So when I tell entrepreneurs, if you want to build the type of companies that I work with, venture fundable companies, think platform, not product. Hmm.
1: Now, I would like to ask you to recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer-focused marketing or sales. However, I'm not looking at the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you and might help other entrepreneurs as well.
0: So I have a unique perspective. I do business all around the world and I'm going to mention a product that I use that's an overseas product that is really powerful that a lot of people haven't used. And so first of all, we have we have our startup incubators and accelerators all over and partners in 22 countries. But China is a huge market. So we have 5 incubators in China, you know, one in Wuhan, Shenzhen, Hangzhou, Nanjing, Xi'an, so all across China. And in China in order for us to reach out to customers to do business to do basically almost uh, you know a huge variety of things including engaging our customers we use wechat so my, my advice to people is if they are even thinking of traveling to china they need to get on wechat and really understand it it is another platform that has a very rich ecosystem so it does everything from allowing you to communicate with friends to allowing you to do business deals, to allowing you to engage your customers. There's all these marketing channels within WeChat, ways to market. And when you go into a store to buy something, you, pay, you can pay for almost anything in China just using WeChat. Like it's a digital, you know, their QR codes, you scan the QR code and it, and it de- uh, deducts the amount from your account. Very, and it's a beautifully designed, beautifully simple product.
1: Hmm. I think it's the first time that someone is recommending WeChat, so I really love that. You know, there are many factors that affect one's success. However, I do believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really helps us win. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor?
0: My key success factor that helps me win is building great teams. And I'll tell you how I do this. So I have a rule when building great teams, because I think if you're building a company, if it's a solo business, fine, you don't need this advice. But if you're building a company and it requires more than you, which is almost every business in the world, and especially if you're building big companies like the type that I invest in, big scalable companies, you cannot do it alone. So first of all, you need to get the right people on board. But more important, well, I would say as important as that, you need to figure out how to communicate with those people. And my rule is ask, don't tell. So it's a very Mm -hmm. simple rule. It means when you want people to do something, don't tell them what to do. And people are like, how do I run a business where I don't tell somebody what to do? Well, I have a challenge for all of you. I want you to try for one week, for every single person you engage with, your colleagues, your, your, your managers, everybody in your company, for an entire week, I want you to not tell them to do anything, just ask them. And you will get far better results. Now, how is this possible? First of all, if you see somebody and you want them to do a task that needs to get done, instead of walking up to them and saying, you know, I want you to do this and this is how I want you to do it, instead of doing that, you go up to them and say, what do you think is the most important thing we should be focused on right now? And then you hear from them. First of all, they might think it's something else that you didn't think of that is actually more important. And then you'll suddenly learn, oh, this person should be focused on that, not what I'm about to tell them to do, which would have been a distraction from that. The next thing you do is ask them, how do you think we can get this done in the best way possible? What you're doing is you're firing up their brain. You're getting them to think about it. And then you ask them, is there a way we could do it better? Is there a way we could do it faster? Is there a way we can make our customers happier? Every time you ask them a question like that, you aren't telling them what to do. You are getting them to actually take ownership because they're like, oh, my boss wants to know, is there a way we can do it faster? And they start to think about that. My boss wants to know, is there a way we can do it better? They start to become creative. So my what you do is Even if you see somebody in your company who isn't doing things the right way, you know, and usually if you see them and they're doing it the wrong way and you know you've done it a hundred times that way, you want to tell them, stop doing it that way, do it this way. Instead of telling them, hold your tongue and ask them, why are you doing it that way? Do you think there's a more effective way to do it? And you can explain to them. In my experience, I've seen this and that. What do you think? The more you do that, the more you will get your employees to be productive, to get them to be bought into the job, satisfied with the job, and actually be creative. So try that in your business, and I almost guarantee you will get better results.
1: Hmm. love that. And my final question, before I ask you what is the best way to connect with you, my final question is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been imagining this journey of entrepreneurship as climbing a mountain. You know, step after step after step, and then you're looking to reach the peak, and when you reach the peak, you want to climb a higher peak, and sometimes you need to go down in order to reach the peak. And at some point, I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you, whether you ever climbed the mountain, or wished to climb the mountain, or... Do you have any relationships with mountains at all?
0: So I have been climbing mountains my whole life. And if there is no mountain, I will make an imaginary mountain to climb. I think human Mm. beings need challenges. We need, we want to feel a sense of accomplishment and mountains give us that. You know, when we, when, if you look at a mountain, it seems impossible to climb. And then when you get up to the top, you feel this elation that you're like there. And I do a lot of hiking all around the world. So I'm a huge outdoors person, but also metaphorically speaking, we make mountains in our lives. So mountains, sometimes we make mountains, uh, positive mountains. Other times these mountains become barriers. We're like, it's too big. I just can't do it. Now, you know, when I've had projects, like I told you that didn't work out, like that, that, that you know my virtual world project that didn't work out. After that project, I actually went into a depression and, and I created a mountain for myself saying, it's just too hard. Like I put, I believed in this. I put everything I had into this. I can't go back up and try climbing another mountain when I've just failed. Like I just, I didn't make it, it didn't reach the top. But that was an imaginary mountain that I had made to block my own path. So, what I want to tell your listeners is there are real mountains and there are imaginary mountains. And what you want is if if you see something blocking you, if you, you if you're telling yourself, if you find yourself telling yourself, "I can't do that, if that mountain is just too high, remember, that's you telling yourself that. That's not reality. That's you creating a certain reality. And you could just as easily look at an impossible mountain and say, "I'm actually going to figure out how to climb that. I can't see." how to get to the top. Now, I don't know the way I don't even know if I'm physically or mentally capable of doing it, but I'll tell you, I'm going to try until I get there. And if you, that shift in attitude is, changes everything that perspective shift. Now, sometimes when you've just been beaten down, when you've just failed, when you've fallen off a cliff, really hard to pick yourself back up and do that but that's what creates mm. great entrepreneurs are the people who you know you fall back up you you recognize well that path wasn't the right one I made a mistake there but then you, you get back up and you say there are other paths there are always other paths to the top hmm. I love
1: it there are always other paths to the top we used to think or usually we think that our way or this one way is the only way, isn't it? Yes. Steve, what is the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch?
0: If you want to reach me, the easiest way to get in touch with me is to go to foundersspace.com. Founderspace.com. We have lots of educational material for entrepreneurs. There are lots of videos, an online startup kit, an online startup program, all of that. And you can also reach out to me. Just contact me from the site. And if you, also, if you want to reach out to me another way, is I'm on every social network. LinkedIn is a great one. Just search for Founders Space or Steve Hoffman. You will find me on LinkedIn. And if you want to find my new book that's out there, Surviving a Startup, just search for it on Amazon or go to survivingastartup.com. And we will have
1: all these links in the show notes on. This interview, so you will be able to find them. Steve, I would like to thank you so much. Really, so many fantastic stories and so many clever things that uh, we can all think of. So, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: It has been a pleasure. So, take care. Thank you. Bye bye. 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 And for you, our listeners, until the next time.